0: Pearly away just a jack knife has old maggie Heath, and it keeps it uh, out of sight you know when that sharp bite
1: so welcome everybody to another episode of Macklin's take this is the third of the week we've got absolutely crazy this week big enzo mac on tuesday talking All things training, dieting, making weight, all of that. Then yesterday, we turned our attention to Usyk against Chisora and had a good chat with a certain David Hay. And today we've got yet another former Cruiserweight world champion. We've gone cruiser crazy as well this week. And this is a man who won the WBC title on an unforgettable evening at Goodison Park and then went on to have some serious success a heavyweight too, with a couple of victories against the uh, the aforementioned David Hay. Uh, and he's in the matchroom bubble ahead of U6 Chisora as well, as is David, of course it kind of conjures visions to me of the two of them having nice cosy chats in front of the fire on these these long winter evenings. I did toy with the idea of seeing if I could get them both to huddle, cuddle around the same laptop and come on at the same time. But but I thought better of it. I thought better of it. He's isolating at the minute. It's Tony Bellew, of course. It's the bomber. Everybody would have, would have guessed that. He's isolating because he got into the bubble earlier today. We're recording this on wednesday and what me and macklin have realized is that this covid isolation period for 24 hours after you check into the maturing bubble although it might be a little bit dull for the people who have to do it for us it's manna from heaven because it means that people are rich pickings uh, for podcasting because they've got nothing else to do so uh, you're a few I hours
2: call netflix <laughs> <laughs>
1: well you're, you're a veteran at this now so how are you um, how are you finding it
2: oh, I'm alright mate mean, this is the fifth, fourth or fifth time I've had to do the day of isolation uh, FaceTimes with the kids and stuff like that and that's it mate uh, there's only so much you can do to be honest uh, And there's only so many things you can watch so I'm trying to figure out what my movie is tonight and that's about it, Me, There's nothing really on the telly that I'm really interested in. So just pass the time and, and wait for the knock on the door that I've got another clear for the sixth time.
1: Well, you're down there, of course, down in Wembley uh, at the Hilton with everybody else ahead of the fight on uh, on Saturday between Alexander Usyk and, and Derek Chisora. So let, let's talk about that first off, because it's it's a fight that's attracted a, a lot of interest. It's one that's got great ingredients to it. Um, whichever angle you look at it from, really, because you've got two two very interesting personalities, as well as this being fascinating from the boxing standpoint. It's got the personalities too, and and that, that's a key ingredient, isn't it? When you get to really really big fights, it's not just about having two really good boxers. They need to bring that little bit extra too. We've
2: we've seen that in the past. That. When really two really good boxers come together but they don't open them out, it doesn't really do good numbers, it doesn't really excite people. The perfect example, in my opinion, was two fantastic boxers at the time. The best welterweight in the world against the best middleweight in the world was Cal Brook and Gennady Golovkin. And them two guys coming together should have been absolutely massive, it should have been astronomically big, but it wasn't and it just didn't catch fire. And in my opinion, that was purely because they just didn't want to trash talk and they didn't want to hype the fight up. Whereas if Kelbrook Brook were that, I'm not saying it's the right thing to do, I'm saying it's the best thing to do if you want to maximise your earning potential, is to come out say something or do something stupid, as you've seen me do many times over the years. But I was about making money, not about just, you know, the the being a good fighter just isn't enough sometimes and you know Macklin will be another one who will be able first hand to tell you you know it's all well and good you're you're fighting everyone you knock everyone out but you need a dance partner you need someone you clash with someone you can have as a rival because rivalries is what sells in boxing Usyk and Chisora have kind of done it a bit of a different way they've done it it sounds mad but they're both a pair of lunatics and weirdos and it kind of sells because no one understands what either one's thinking also, here is Derek and Derek and Alexander, Alexander, and it sells because they're crazy, the two of them. But believe you me, the selling point behind this fight: yes, the two of them are a bit nuts, but also when they get in the ring, one only knows one way, and the other knows multiple ways to win. Derek is going to bring the heat and the pressure and the heavyweight durability and advantages that he's carried for his whole career. Who's just going to bring? a whole different box of toys that, you know, he can do everything. There's nothing he can't do in boxing. Ring. So that's what, that's the selling factor. But as I say, their personalities is also a major selling point too.
1: So I'm just curious in in the build up to this fight, I don't know whether boxers ever really do this or not. You, you and Derek are good friends. And obviously you've, you've been in the ring with, with, with Alexander Usyk. Do fighters call, upon other fighters that they know if they've boxed who they're about to box before. Is that something that happens or, or not really?
2: Uh, I've spoke to Del numerous times. Uh, he was, he's always helped me in camp. I've sparred dozens and dozens, probably hundreds of rounds with Dell over the years. Uh, he just helped me out for different parts of camps and stuff like that. So when it comes to Usyk, yes, we spoke about him on multiple occasions, numerous times, uh, uh, and he's asked me my thoughts. I, I've, I've, I've told him them, and you know, but ultimately, you'd have to understand it didn't, plan, didn't work. Then, you know, he's going to with his own game plan, going with his own set of tactics and what he thinks he should do. We're two completely different fighters, and we fight in completely different ways. Dell is going to push you a, a, a completely different way than I did. Yes, I, I led you down the guard path of having a boxing match with him. The one thing he didn't expect. Because all I told him in the building up to the fight was, I've got a puncher's chance and that's it. And he kind of bought into that. And he was taken back once I chose to go on the back foot and, and draw his and draw his lead and counter him. Uh, whereas we, we all know well and truly, Dell can't do that. That's just not the way Dell fights. Dell's game is to get on your chest, make you work, and make you start blowing your ass from round three onwards. And, and hopefully it works. He also has that genuine heavyweight power that we've seen him showcasing to Carlos Takham. So there's multiple things that can happen in this fight, eh, but there's only one thing that I want to happen, and that's Derek Chisora to land that huge right hand on the top of Alexander Usyk. Usyk goes down for the count of 10 and then gets up and everything's cool.
1: So, Matt, when when we spoke to, to David Hay uh, yesterday... By the end of the conversation, I think he'd convinced us both that not only was Derek Tazora going to, to win the fight, that he was going to emerge from the ring uh, brandishing a vaccine for COVID. He's going to go away and, uh, and sort out Brexit. He's going he's to cure all the ills of the world, quite literally, all in one fell swoop, because that's part of his job this week, David. Of course, he's, he's, Derek's, he's Derek's manager. We were talking about this kind of thing with Mike Costello um, yesterday on a podcast we'll bring out next week, about how during a big fight week you can somehow allow your opinion to change as you encounter different characters during the week. And Has your thinking changed at all after speaking to, to, to David yesterday?
0: No, I mean, look, when you speak to someone who absolutely believes in their man, that sort of confidence can be quite infectious. You can get dragged into a little bit. And obviously, as you're right, we talked with Mike about the fight week with the Hatton Mayweather and the patriotism, and everyone was landing and there was plain loads of people coming and everyone was like, you know, believing everyone was dreaming and everyone was believing and people got swept with that. But I think you've got to pull yourself out of that and just look at it. Black and white, cold facts and, I think I think Derek Chisora is going to give Usyk a hard fight. I don't think he's going to beat him. I just think Usyk is going to. If this is the bull and the Matador, you know that's what it's going to be. You're going to Derek Chisora, natural heavyweight, massive punch, very dangerous, trying to close down someone who's just excellent mover, brilliant control of distance. He's got that fast half step back, great peripheral vision, reflexes, very agile. And I just think that he'll say a step ahead, of boy. I hope I'm wrong, but I just, that's how I see it happening. I just think Usyk's just going to have that little bit too much, certainly at this stage of his career. But I think Derek's going to give it an almighty effort. And I think he's going to, you know, put the heat on him and make him graft every minute of every every second of every round. But And I don't think he gets stopped, up. but I think that Usyk will win it on points. Hey,
1: hey, hey. Can- Hey, kids. hey, everybody.
0: Sitting here with a famous Slovenian philosopher. How are you doing, sir? I am uh, in health, thank you. Are you uh, excited about something? I am excited about this latest uh, CIA-funded venture. A CIA venture? Yes. It's called the Desire and Capital Podcast. Oh, what is it about? I refuse your fascist question. Well, there you have it. Listen to the Desiring Capital podcast. Coming soon to a bourgeois platform near
1: you. On your marks, get set, go. This is so crazy. Tony, would you say that that Chisora's better now than he's than he's ever been? I think over the last year or so, maybe he's buckled down to training in a way that possibly he he hasn't before.
2: Straight away, I get Matt's point. You know, we've all been there and done it. We've all seen, you know, the build-ups, the 24-7 countdowns on big fights, and you, and you get swayed back and forth by seeing what's going on in the gym and you hear the background stories. So, yeah, I do get that. If you purely looked at this from a back and white perspective and said, put his style against his style, then there's only one winner, and you'd have to say that. But it's what's going on behind the scenes that people don't really grasp and gather. Now, Bell's in unbelievable shape. He's phenomenally fit. Yeah, very strong. Actually, looks. I'm not. I can't say, but it looks very light. I don't think you'd be he'd be as heavy as people are expecting. Uh, and then, as I know, the, the, the things that we know, everything we need to know about Derek order. we have seen him at the very highest levels of the sport. We've seen him come up short against really good fighters. You know what we don't know. The big question marks in this fight is how is Alexander Usyk gonna? Adapt to the heavyweight division. What's going to happen when they get up close and they do get hold of them? Because they are going to get hold of It's inevitable. You cannot run as great as his feet are. And believe you me, he's got the best feet in anyone after Lomachenko, in my opinion. His footwork is that good. Uh, at some point, these guys are going to get old. He can't continue just run away, run away, run away. So when they do get old, what is going to happen? And we all want to know. It's I say, it's the questions surrounding Alexander Usyk that make this fight so great. Because I say, we've seen where Derek Chisora's been. We've seen the levels he's got to. We've seen him fall short a few times. So we just want to know about Usyk, really. But we know when Derek is back's against the ropes and he's written off by everybody that's when he's at his most dangerous. You know, we've seen an attack and fight against all odds. None, of, No one at my night predicted that Dele Chisola was going to win. I mean, I did, but, you know, listen, I'd say Dell's going to be the plan like Tyson made. I just stand by my friends and that's how I always have been. But when you, as Max said before, you look at the cold, hard facts of it, he, he shouldn't really have a chance against someone like Alexander. But you'd have to think outside the box sometimes because shocks do happen. You know, no one ever in a million years predicted that. Buster Douglas was going to beat Mike Tyson. Things were going on in the background. Things scenarios favored Douglas and whatever happened, that and So I'm not saying it's going to be of that kind of on that scale. But believe you me, if Derrick is on knocks knockouts, Alexander Usyk, it's one of the biggest shocks in boxing in my opinion.
1: Well, we've seen some recently, haven't we? Of course, we were all in New York uh, at Madison Square Garden for Andy Ruiz's demolition of, of Anthony Joshua. No one saw that coming. Not many people saw Alexander Povetkin's knockout of Dillian White coming either. So as we say, although it is a cliche, it doesn't mean it isn't true. This is heavyweight boxing and really anything can happen. Um, so we'll come back to that maybe at the end of the podcast, The Fight. But we'll just segue now into into something that you touched on earlier on uh, and something that, that I've always been keen to talk to you about, which is the the importance of and the art of self-promotion when you're a professional fighter. Because this kind of fight we got on Saturday, it is a bit unusual in that we do have two really interesting personalities, but they kind of have somehow managed to get away with, if that's quite the right phrase, just being themselves, them being themselves. It's provided this kind of organic mixture, as you describe, between the two of them, which, which has just worked. Generally, these things require a little bit more work because as you said to get to that kind of box office level and really make the big money and that's what everybody's in it for it's called prize fighting for a for a reason being very very good and being very very dedicated they're givens really you have to have that but but by themselves they're not really going to be enough. You need that extra little bit, that bit of X factor, that personality. You need people to literally invest if it's box office and tune in, either because they want to see you win or they want to see you lose or just because you you flick some kind of of switch in them. And it always seemed to me that this was something you understood right, right from the start when when you turned pro and and I don't, I don't know maybe maybe you were always like that. Macklin could could tell us because he was absolutely
0: there. always like that. I remember for <laughs> England, right? I think it was a Four Nations or something. He had an absolute ding dong. It was on BBC and they've stuck the mic. He's been interviewed after. He's had a great fight and he's gone. Listen to me. He goes, I wanted to have a war tonight, and he's done this speech anyway, and he just knew it was made for television. Do you know what I mean? And this was. You know he was, I think he was one of his first internationals at the time, so you know he was always made for that, that stuff. Always, I knew straight away and what
2: what what I needed to do. I needed to make a name for myself, I needed to make people want to see me where they want to see me get knocked out or where they want to see me win. I knew I had to, it, it's not enough just boxing and winning and looking good, you you'd have to make people want to see it. And as I said before, sometimes people want to see you get knocked out of my thousands and thousands of them and I've had thousands turn up to see me win so it's a fine line but you've got to you've got to be something. with Derek Chisora people want to see Derek usually because he, he's got to say a certain persona about him or he gets involved in absolutely outrageous things at press conferences you know look at the long list of what he's done he slapped Vitaly Klitschko he, he sprayed Vladimir Klitschko with, with a load of water in his face he, he's had a full-blown fight with David at A press conference. He's the you know he's thrown a table at Dillian White. He, he, the list just goes on and on. Now this is what is the greatest attraction to Derek Chisora. It, it's his, it's his, it's his volatile manner. It's the way he can snap in an instant. This is why he's a draw in this fight. If Oleksandr usik can't be a draw on his own, you need a dance partner in boxing. No one cares when the great fights is just facing anyone. It, facing no one. It's very rare you get a fight of that much. You know, Floyd Mayweather's a, a one-off, a complete one off. But even he had those low level draws when he fights like life of Guerrero. It, it draws no one. It doesn't know no no numbers aren't good for him. You need that dance partner. So this time Derek chisora has got it in Alexander Hussain. and yes there's been no volatile clashes or there's been no nasty words said. But people know this fight can't be a bad fight. If you know what I mean it, it, you know it He's going to do what he comes to do. You don't know what he's going to do. But he can do everything. Literally, there's nothing the boy can't do. So it just makes the ingredients of a great, great fight. And as I said before, we touching on my self-promotion, I just knew that he really does. I used to go and watch Matt Train in the Phoenix camp with Billy Graham and stuff like that. And I would always be learning. I've studied boxing since I was a kid. I don't know anything else. That's all I know. I would go to gyms. I was like a little gym rat. I would go everywhere and watch and learn. I would see how people carry themselves and what people do to sell themselves. I remember... Going to the Phoenix Camp and sitting down, with Billy Graham, and chatting about Zab Judah. Not many people who really fights even knew Zab Judah was at the time. But I was talking to him about Mickey Ward, things like that. Then we come and we start talking Junior Witter, and I used to watch our Junior Witter to go on and blah and blah and blah. And it was his mouth, the annoyance. People like didn't like him because of the way he portrayed himself, and people loved Ricky Hatton because of the way he portrayed himself. There was a kind of good and bad guy scenario going on. It didn't it doesn't matter which one you want to be, you've got to be one of them. Pick one to be because there are was always gonna be a good guy and a bad guy. And I just understood that, mate, before they even turned professional. As an amateur boxer, I rendered someone unconscious in an ABA final and I celebrated on his ropes in his own corner. You know, things like that just don't happen in amateur boxing anymore. You just don't see that. And I was doing them kind of crazy things because I always wanted to be a professional, you know, fighter
1: who earns fortune for me to be a world champion one day. And hopefully it worked out. How, how much kind of, you just touched on there on the kind of research that, that, that went into that. Um, how much kind of planning went into, when you got to a high level, how much planning went into what you might say at a press conference, what you might do, what you, how you might behave?
2: Never, ever, scripted anything the only thing I've scripted was create the movie <laughs> literally and I wrote my own script uh, that is the only thing I've ever scripted I've never gone into it. I've gone in uh, just doing create the movie and I've I've gone into a fight with an agenda once in my whole career when I fought BJ Flores I went him I made sure David A was commentating for the fight and I didn't tell Eddie why I wanted David A to be commentating for the fight I just said make sure he said, that's the only way I'm fighting BJ Flores if David A is in the front row commentating for Sky Eddie made it happen and I just went nuts right after the fight because I did, although I had the best promoter in the game and Eddie in Eddie end I didn't need a promoter because I made the fight for myself either through social media or I would go literally in the ring on the night. So with David, a, it was always just me and him back and forth on social media. It wasn't real and no one cared. Everyone just thought Bellew's going to get absolutely blasted by David. He's going to get his head sucked off. No one really cares. People really cared when I kicked the table around and threatened to jump out the ring. and That's when everyone wants to see him smash me head in. Simple as that. And then as the fight, that's how my persona then changes. The everybody thinks I'm a cocky and I'm, you know, big head and whatever. And I think I'm a gobshite for trying to put it on David day to fight. I just need you to have an opinion of that fight. I just need you to want to see me get my face punched in. Once it gets to that point, David, day realizes this is a money maker. He wants to make it happen too. That's all I need to make happen. The minute the fight was signed, it's it's crazy how the public and the persona it switches. Then and and at the start of it, I was the bad guy. I was the horrible multi scout set against you know the great amazing David Ayer, undisputed cruiserweight champion, heavyweight champion. But then, as you soon see, I've got the fight. I no longer care about what my persona is. Nothing. People just see me for the first time in my whole career. What I'm like. They see why I do what I've done. I'm. Basically, a family man who, who's, who's carved out a career and a pat himself. And you got to remember at this stage, I was a world champion. I was a world champion, but I hadn't even fucking owned me it's yet. And the money just weren't there. I'd done okay. The movie had paid for, for one of the houses. But in hindsight, I've been British, Commonwealth, European and world champion. And I never had said no decent money in the bank. I, I was doing all right. I drove an all right car. I had an house in a nice area, but mortgaged up to fuck and didn't know what I was going to do. I knew one night with David A., if I made people want to see it and I drilled it a certain way, I knew it would sort it out financially. And I said, these are the things that boxers just don't gasp, grasp on. That's why fans don't grasp and they don't understand why certain people do what they do. I, I He was a pound-like the H. Remember Red Dwarf, the program, and he had the H on his head. David, had the pound sign on his forehead, like that. To me, mate, honest to God, and yes, I knew I'd beat him, and you, whatever have you. But the most important thing was making people want to see. Him. And as I said before, slowly but surely, then people had all hated me and wanted me to get my head punched in. Come fight night, it, it turned out I got cheered into the arena on his patch, and he got booed in. It was mad, you know what I mean? It was crazy. Uh, But it's just your your persona comes out in the end. But my career turned around bit by bit. And you can literally, you guys have seen it over the years. I was absolutely hated. I mean, I'm absolutely hated on social media now anyway. That's just a given. That's because I'm a multi fucker and I'll answer anyone back. But as from from how people look at me these days, there's no one, they can clearly see what I've done it for. Which I which I'm happy about to come across. Not every fight, as I said before, this is fortune, this is our being uh, and this craft on the way I did.
0: Hey, everybody, this is Moto G Pete from the Nokomoto Motorcycle Podcast. Join us every week while we
1: rate, review, ride, philosophize, and generally obsess over every single motorcycle make, model, and style that could possibly exist, plus news and racing. That's the Nokomoto Motorcycle Podcast for Moto1 Podcast Network Studios. So, I mean, that's I, I, I'd heard that that was a, a kind of long-term plan that you had to, to target that that fight with Hey, so I mean, did you share that plan with anyone? No, you
2: know, the mean the mean fighting David Hay? yeah, yeah. But I did share with one person, David Price, after we spa- we sparred him in two thousand and four or five. So I just won the ABA's. Yeah, two thousand and four won my first ABA title. David Hay was getting ready to face Mark Hobson for the British Cruiserweight title. He come down. Uh, it was the first time anyone had offered to pay me for for sparring come Down with Adam Booth, Anthony Small came down and sparred Neil Perkins, uh, and me and David Crystal They're Palace. Deadfield, no, he comes to Liverpool in the solid Gym, And uh, David needed a partner. he's ran out of sparring partners. We were told he knocked everyone out in London, there was no one left for him to spar, so he came down, and sparred. He sparred two minutes with David, David Price, two minutes with me. Well, uh, I've said it before, and I've never seen what happened that day ever again, David. Price hit David A so hard on the chin here, he spun him round 360 degrees. He literally spun him round like that after he hit him on the chin. And David, such a nice person, he is stood back, looked at what he'd done, and was in, like, as if to say, What have I just done? And me, like a big dope scheme, fucking take his head clean off, knock him out, and whatever, because he was good. I think David was paying a thousand pound cash if one of us dropped him. Price, he just admired the punch. He only had to push him over and he would have been out. Uh, so I jumped in for the next two minutes and I jumped on him. I soon leaped on him, mate. And then he said his leg had gone or oh, whatever. I hit him with a left hook. The minute that spar finished, I David Price was tell you, I said to him, I'm going to fight him in the pros one day. Mark my words, I'm going to fight him. And Price went, don't talk shit, lad. You're fucking amateur boxer. you only just won your first ABA title. I said, trust me, one day I'm going to fight him. Many years later, uh, Pricey comes to Dave Caldwell's gym he's come be all we've done full circle I'm now European champ Uh, about to fight for the world title and I'm not even sure if the macabre fight was scheduled Pricey's in the gym with me anyway and we're, we've just finished training and he said what's the plan lad I said win a world title and David A is still the plan I'm going to fight David A and he went you've been saying that for fucking years I said trust me I've, I've made the connection on social media. we pushed it a little bit there. I've, I've had a little bite each bit back. I said, trust me, all I need to do is make people want to see the fight. I became world champion. Uh, and that was it, mate. The rest was history. I just, I knew. I actually wanted to fa- face Demetrio Okucha in my, in my first title defence. And Eddie end said to me, why do you want to face Demetrio Okucha? It's an hard fight. And I said, I'm the best fighter. I said, I'm the best cruiserweight in the world right now. I'll smash him into a kucha and Eddie was like, You don't need that fight. I was about your face BJ Flores, and I hated BJ Flores to be fair, because he followed me around everywhere. He turned up with the cleverly two fights, calling me a blown-up lights like everywhere. He turned up with the clear premier or oh, amazing he just followed me everywhere. And I was like, Why doesn't he just fuck off? And when he said, Can we can we you fight him? I said, The only way I'll fight him is if you get. A to commentate ringside, he agreed everything that Tut got it done. I absolutely smashed the living daylights out of BJ Flores in three rounds, which which I think is still a really good win and overlooked, to be honest, because no one's ever stopped him before or since that I know of. Uh, and I just absolutely man him in a boxing like man v boy, considering he was the older, more experienced fighter. Uh, got rid of him and straight away made. That's, that's I say that's the only fight he ever went into with an agenda. My agenda was I was hoping David would kind of get in the ring because we had nothing planned. David was, there was still talk, oh, we might fight David there or whatever, but David was just turning up to see his mate become world champion. David thought BJ Farris was going to me. He was convinced. I'd done it and uh, that's when I, had, I literally launched myself out, literally through the ropes and, and tried to jump down. Was I ever going to smack him? Absolutely not, no, I had to play the boxing gloves on and God help me if I'd have got close because if I'd have got punched off him with a fist, it was bad enough with a on. it would have been even worse with his bare fist. So uh, it's just, I, I understood what hype was. I understood the, the the importance of self-market and self-promotion. I understood them things early days. There's been loads of better better fighters than me from where I'm from, but they just didn't understand the importance of self-promotion, or they was too shy, or they, you know they just they, they weren't talkers. It's it's no it's no fault of the donor Andy, to be honest. And Mac will tell you firsthand, there's been loads of brilliant fighters, but no one cares because they've got no personality. And that's not what boxing should be about, being so it should be about who's the better fighter, who's the who's the this and that, but it shows throughout sport and history that it's not always the best. Look at football right now. Probably one of the most talked about footballers in the world is Paul Pogbett. Is he one of the best footballers in the world? Absolutely not, no. But he's on everyone's lips all the time, constantly. Uh, It's it's just mad how things work. And in boxing, it's very similar. Like I said before, I never believed I was like the greatest fighter in the world at any stage. You know, I don't think I'm, you know, one of them elite pound for pound guys. You know, when I won my world title, I thought I was genuinely the best fighter in the world on that night. I genuinely did think that. Uh, Alexander Usik was still fighting eight rounders. Yeah. and the other world champions in and around me wait was yeah, Vladar, Czech, Huch, people like that. I knew I could beat them people. I knew I was better than them. Obviously, once you got to a level, you know, he's better than me. I can accept that. But you've still got to portray yourself and put yourself out there as the best. And you've got to make people believe you are the best or you think you're the best to make yourself noticed and make yourself... The most important thing I could say is make yourself... What's the word I'm looking for? make yourself valuable. Make yourself relevant. I tell me fighters who are managed now. Don't worry about you know this title, that title. Just make yourself relevant. Because if you're relevant, your name will always come up, whether it's for a title, whether it's for a, an eight round or a six rounder. Just make make people remember you. You know, don't let don't don't go in have a great fight, but then everyone goes. What was his name again? That's the last thing you want to when You just had a great fight in the boxing ring. Is people what, what was his name again? You need them to remember your name. So if you've had a great six-round fight uh, and you've come up the ring and then you know, you go like, I thought I won him, that gobshite. I'll punch him all over the place. Give me a rematch next time. I promise you, you've done six great rounds, but people will remember you calling the gobshite and saying, Let's get it on again, much more than you will the actual fight. And they're the kind of little things that fighters need to pick on. By the way, I'm not telling every fight that's in a lunatic. I'm not, I'm definitely not doing that. <laughs> I'm just saying make yourselves relevant.
1: There's different ways to do it. Yo, I'm DK, co-host of the One Star Recruits podcast. My best friend Rip and I host five-star athletes, celebs, business leaders, comedians, and coaches from around the world. Each week, I can guarantee the show will always have great laughs, catch up on life's in relatable ways, and have a ton of fun. We're recruiting you. We are the one stars, which means we can ask the questions that no other podcast asked to guests like Joey Chestnut, Evander Holyfield, Bobby Hurley, Jenny Finch, Ryan Lochte, Montel Jordan. New guests every week. Compelling interviews that you want to hear. Check us out wherever you get podcasts. One star recruits.
0: I mean, there is different ways to do it. And, um, you know, I think the key the key is to be authentic. You know, Ricky Hatton was the boy next door. He was a football fan and, it, you know, he was the people's champion, wasn't he? But, you know, Prince Nassim Hamed understood the art of jumping out the ring, putting on the clock, saying he's the best, that arrogance. You know, Joe Calzaghe came just after Nassim in the early days. He was trying to do Nassim and it just didn't work at all. You know what I mean? Like, none at all. Then Joe just eventually was himself. And that authenticity shot through. He was just a great fighter. From his from ability, his ability sold himself. But even then, you know, the Lacey fight and the Hopkins ones, those dance partners took him to that next level and he got the money. But like, you know, Tony had a mass, Tony's got a massive personality. You know what I mean? He's an emotional person. He's a, you know, he's a great talker. Like I say, at that time when he boxed for England, you knew then he was made for that kind of stuff. I could never do anything like that. That not that, That's not my personality, you know. And, and there's lots of other people like that. But, but he's right. You've got to find. You've got to find um, your niche. You've got to find your angle, whatever that is. Like I say, Ricky Hatton was massive, but he didn't. He wasn't backflipping into the ring. You know what I mean? But he was true to himself. And but, it, but marketing. It's you know, ability is one thing, but marketability is the other thing. You know, and if you know. It's the promoter's job to promote, but you've got to fuck. You've got to help him. Do you know what I mean? You've got to give him the storylines. You've got to give him the headlines. Like Tony said, he understood the importance of hype. But not only did he understand the importance of hype, he knew how to create the hype. That's the key. You know, the, uh, the a big thing is you've also you've just
2: got to be able to fucking fight because <laughs> you know you know what? I mean? If you can't fight, then what's that kid's name? who got who comes to the ring on a scooter and then got banjoed off Ashley Sexton. That's the kind of thing... Usman uh, Ahmed. Yeah, that's the kind of thing that'll happen. So you 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 can talk it up and bother it up sort of that, but then if you can't actually perform, then trust me, you will get found one. And when you do get found one, it will be highly embarrassing. So you have to be at a certain level, first and foremost. If you're at that level, in and amongst that level, that, that that breaking down them barriers will help you progress a bit faster or a bit more than what you can do. So as I say... You've, you've, you must be able to fight. That's the first and most important thing that, that's, that's the given, you know, as a fighter. But after that, like Max said, find your niche, look at, you know, there's different ways of doing it. There's some fighters who I think who are absolutely fantastic, but they're just shy people. And that's just the, that's the way it's always going to be. Man. You're not going to change that people. Well, you know, a, a person who comes to mind when I think about things like that is Danny Garcia, a, re- a kid who can really fight from the streets of Philadelphia He'll, he'll talk a little bit now and again, but you genuinely get the consensus of he's a shy kid, he's very within himself. So, you know what? His fucking dad comes up and does it for him, and then and everyone wants to beat his dad up more than they want to beat him up. But ultimately, his dad's making him relevant because everyone's going on about his dad or gone. But let me tell you, then Danny Garcia's dad, Danny Garcia's dad. Remember the, the first name of the same face? They're not saying Danny, they're not saying his dad, they're not saying his dad, saying Danny Garcia, Danny Garcia, Danny Garcia his dad might follow. But it's still Danny Garcia that's coming out of someone's mouth, uh, and it's little things like that that make him relative, that make him so important. I mean, what can Canales that one in the fight against Amir Khan, in my opinion, because if Amir Khan just goes out and sticks to the, to this day, I genuinely one of the one of the most unbeatable boxing displays I've ever seen in my life is that night Amir Khan boxed Andreas Kotelnik. I have never seen a fighter put up this. I have, but you know, you know, from from Britain put on display like Amir Carpenter against Katalnik. I'm telling you now, no one in the world would have beaten that night. He couldn't hit him, he couldn't do nothing, and Katalnik was a top fighter by the way, a really good fighter, strong, hard bastard, you know, brilliant amateur, well-schooled, could punch to the body, could punch to the head, and Amir just pinged them in and out all night. And if he'd have either, Amir could go with that approach against anyone and he'd give them trouble. I even think he'd give Floyd May with the trouble with that approach. It's That's why he'd fight him yeah, it's a style thing, Mac. You know, it's one of them things. But if Amir's doing that for the first few rounds against Danny Swift, against Danny Garcia, and then look what happens. He gets, he probably listens to his alpha in the corner. He gets it and he wants to start banging with him. And that is the reason why these things happen. And as I say, there's so many different things that play a part in boxing and scenarios. And as Mac will be able to say, he's experienced a lot. He's experienced the absolute, you know, the, the whole lot of it from being robbed in world title fights. And he was fucking robbed. To uh, to to being, you know, in close fights, wars, people playing, you know, emotions have played a part. of Some of your fights, Mac, when you've been in absolute wars, you know, you look at the surrounds and going on between you and Jamie Moore before the fight. There were so many things going on be, with that fight. I was too fired up for that fight. I was far too fired up. And I'm pretty. A lot of it's an emotional, emotions and parts of it build up. You know, how much you want to beat him because of him and this and that. There's just so many different things going on, but. It, you've got to find ways to, to make them things work for you. Uh, for me, personally, I always used to w- want to wind the other fighter up. And I've got a really good
0: knack of winding people up, mate. I'm just, I'm just it's a gift. You were good, Tony, at creating all that, creating that hard, getting under the skin, really doing it. But then, abs- but then detaching yeah, yeah, and then
1: keeping
0: the cool head and then sticking to your game plan. And that's a skill. But the only time I didn't do
2: it was when I faced cleverly the second time probably both times to be honest because I literally wanted to take his head off his neck. Uh, I just couldn't stand him but all the other fights I could do it. I was like, with David A, I swear to God, he wanted to kill me. Now, before that first fight, I'm not joking, he wanted to take my head clean off my neck. I could hear him, I could hear him winding the punch up that much with every punch from round one because I'd I'd absolutely sent this guy crazy. He literally wants to kill me, mate. But, in the rematch, he was so calm and calculated that he was trying to jab me and box me. But at that stage, it's all too late. He just wants to take my chin off. But as I said, that was one of my strengths was winding them up, winding up to the point where there was no return. That first fight, he made his head was completely gone. Completely gone. I mean, since Wednesday they ever came out from the first five rounds and just swung for the lights? Not, we hadn't seen that since Carl Thompson where he just comes out and all his his, his main thing is just to take someone's head clean off. Every other fight that he come out with, he will come out cool, calm, nice and composed, low left hand, starting off. His first punch against me is to pull his left hand back and swing a big left hook at me. And I'm telling you, it was purely just because I got that much in his head and wound him up that
0: much. That's what done it. Rose did it unbelievably with Fratch the first fight, didn't they? Wound him up. Oh,
2: mate you see how Carl comes out, and literally the steam's coming out of his ears. And then the mad thing is, when you see in the rematch, George was the one who came out with his the way he walked into that ring after he come off that silly bus. Steam was coming out of his ears. He, I think, I don't know whether he'd been wound up or of the web, but Carl had then took the calm approach in the rematch and he'd reversed the roles again. So, it, it, mentality and, and mindset plays such big, pivotal parts in people's fighting. And the careers, made it really, really does. As I say, you've got to be in control. I, I actually wasn't as in control. I was in control of, of me thoughts and winding people up, but I wasn't as in control of me emotional set as, as I'd like to have been. Like, for that Usyk fight, I have still, to this day, never been so tired in all my life. No one ever tired me like that. I never, in all my years of fighting, amateur and pro, I've never been that tired, ever. Uh, and it, it's because
0: of me 100%, he tired me. But he it's the concentra- concentration factor, Tony. We say it sometimes we're watching fights where, you know, the Luke Campbell, Chilomachenko, I remember saying, you might think there's not a lot happening here, but trust me, there's loads going on. It's yeah. all that fainting, that tricking, trying to read him, trying to time him, and that's exhausting. You know, um, that's... That, that's more tiring in some ways than standing there and going at it. You know what I mean? I would yeah. rather have just done that,
2: Mac. Just stay, just let's trade and swing, because at least I know you're tired and then. But I, I remember thinking, I'm doing I'm doing great in this fight. I'm winning, I'm winning. And every time I go back to the end of the round, David said to me, Great, you're perfect, it's going exactly like we anticipated. You're winning, you're winning. And then I remember just getting to the end of round seven. And 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 he looked at me and went, Are you tired? And he said it to me as if to say, like, you should not be tired now. You are in the best shape I've ever got you in. And I had fucking abs out of way and, and I was cruising. That that never happened before. So because I had to come back down and wait. And I remember just saying to him, I'm absolutely fucked. And and he knew he could I mean in, in an ideal world, he's saying, he saying goes, That's enough, you're not going on for this round. But they, you know, we had a relationship. He knew me, I knew what he was thinking, I know what he's thinking. So he knew that could never happen. That you know, the towel and getting put in before letting me sit down on the stool and see it out, I'd rather gone out the way I did. But I still can't. Never when people ask me to this day, I can't explain me that tiredness. I've just I've never felt not like my legs. Just I don't even remember getting up off the stool. I just remember saying I'm absolutely fucked today. And then and then the next thing I remember was being in the dressing room, seeing me beard <laughs> That's the next thing I remember,
0: and that's boxing for you, mate. That that's just how ruthless it can be. Yeah, I mean, it, it, so I, I remember the fight with you in Boxing News, and I remember you were saying things. There were little sound bites the, couple, the week of, and I spoke with Eddie, and obviously he would spoke with you. I knew you were going to come out of boxing the way you did because it was the smart thing to do. I did very similar. When I fought Sergio Martinez. Now when Sergio Martinez saw me fight Felix Sturm, I threw over a thousand punches. I know you know the combination it was it was an hellacious pace, set, unbelievable tempo, super fit, but. I was in a rhythm. That's how I used to like to fight. Throwing shots, body head, rolling, coming back at it. To offset uh, Sergio Martinez, I knew I could fight like that against Sergio Martinez. He absolutely chewed me up, you know, when I just tried to take the fight to him like that. But, to, you know, be, you know, Buddy said to me, listen, you're going to win this fight by just being smart, by being patient, by feinting, by just moving the head, giving him a different look. Don't let him time you. Don't let him read you. Just keep take, stepping aside, make him step to you. And that's what I did. And, it, it fucked him really. It took I know he got me in the end, put me down twice at the end of the eleventh round, but it, it took him that long to work me out to get it. He just to, it out. It to the read of me. Yeah, even though that was a really slow pace fight in comparison to the stern one in terms of the amount of punches thrown and things, I was exhausted in the eleventh round because of the brain power, because of the concentration, you know. And someone when you're you're Tony, you're a bit like being, you know, crash band while I'm standing there, letting shots go, rolling from left to right. You're in a rhythm. You're in a flow. You're not taking that much energy because it's how you go about your work. You're in that flow. But when you're boxing Hoosic and you're sitting back and you're fainting and you're giving him a look and the head movement you're reading and you know he's trying to step to you and you're watching him, that's exhausting because the concentration factor that's going on there, it's draining the battery. And even though it doesn't look like a war of attrition, that your battery's getting sacked. You know, it's like, you know, you go in and do your exams at school, you're knackered after. You've only been sitting down in the same spot for three hours because you've been concentrating that hard. You're shattered after. And that's what happened with you and Usyk. That's what happened with me and Sergio Martinez. Even though I had a great game plan like you did, it's not how I normally fight. So it it shattered me to do it just like you did you. And in the end, you were just exhausted mate as just say
2: hard uh, to explain but he, he's exhausted me and that's how it is and, and he can do that to fight especially if someone choose to box this what, what's so compelling about this fight is Dell's not going to do that because that's not in his arsenal that's not in his game plan so he's going to put it on him and the the thing that we all want to watch is can he take it What's gonna happen when Dell gets on him and he get and he gets physical? Because believe he's gonna get physical with him. He's gonna pull him, he's gonna push him, he's probably gonna whack him in the bollocks for him, whack him in the body. Whatever it takes, Dell's willing to do, and he's willing to make it messy, rough. One thing I'll say about Zuzik is I only hit him twice to the body in the whole fight. Watch it back, both times he complains to the referee. He, he's he's done it wrong to he doesn't like getting hit down the stairs. I've seen him dropped off a body shot against the uh, when he was an amateur. And uh, it's the only time I've ever seen him genuinely hurt It's when it's down the stairs. And Dell knows these things, the things that you must target straight away. Uh, and can Usyk deal with them. I, I, I genuinely don't know. I wasn't able to... A uh, part of me regrets not just jumping on him in a certain way, but then I think to myself, if I jump on him, he just makes a fool of me. And then he, he bangs me up ruthlessly horrible and, and, and I just don't get any kind of joy. But with Dell, can he absorb it all? A part of me says that he can, but, but actually, can he? Do you know what I mean? We don't know. Usyk, uh, he's not the biggest puncher at all, but he's accurate, and he stings, mate. He stings. Mm. Everything stings. you. you it's mad. Mack, he's one of the fighters. You feel every shot, but, they, but nothing like hurt you. It, it's hard to explain. I know what you
0: mean. It's the
2: shots you don't see, aren't they? And they sting yeah. you just sting every time. So even like his little, there's nothing at all in his jab. It's, a, it's a purely to touch it and keep you there at bay. But you feel every bastard one of them. You know, and it's definitely not the gloves because them fucking gloves he's got on are so padded. It's unbelievable. He wears them rival gloves. And I was made up when he put them on. They caused murder over me wearing the grandster had uh, on. And I say, it's just the little things that he does. But I, he, without doubt, he's by far the best I ever faced. Ever sparred with been in a ring with no matter what and people people always say to me, Oh no, yeah, you fought to David Day, he was past it and this and that. Well, I sparred for the very best version David a. has ever been. I sparred with him, you know, when he was the unbeaten professional. I'm actually smashing everyone. When I actually went into the fight with David A, no one gave me a chance in hell after he just smoked two heavyweights, two unbeaten heavyweights. Yes, he was shite, but it, you know, no one gave me a, a hope in hell. So I've I've been in rings with really really good fights. I've beaten the other world champions. I've beaten, hes a whole different level, man. He, he sees things that before. Like I would set every fighter over the years. I've been in a ring with ending I would set certain traps, and every single fighter would fall for them. Every single one. Of them. There's not a fight I haven't caught with certain traps that he set. You'll know. There's just things that you go to when you're sparring. That bastard knew. It's like it's like he he just knew what I was doing all the time. Don't get me wrong. The odd lead right hand caught him out a few times in the fight. I'd say a couple of body shots in there. The thing that got him the most was just jabbing over his right hand. Every time he stepped in, I would come on a pivot and I would pop him over the over his over his low right hand where he was trying to get a look at me doing this. So little things like that worked, but it round by round he kept clicking on. He kept he kept he kept absorbing what I was doing, and that's what exhausted me. He just every every night put out of here. He absorbed, and it was like a fucking. It's like a data exchange over a computer, and but the bastard put format and it fought much quicker than I was. But he's he's so good, mate at so what he does. Is, I can't speak highly enough of him. He genuinely is the real deal. And for Dell going
0: into this fight, do you know, do you know, I, I think the difference is Tony. You you did the right thing. Like I said, I, I know I knew where you were coming from even before the fight. When I spoke with Eddie, I knew what you were going to do because it's the, it was the smart thing to do. You know, you're going to offset him. He's going to expect a certain Tony value. You. You're going to come on the back foot, make him reach you, and box him, and it's going to it take. You know, it throws him. It takes him a few rounds. But what the, the problem with that was, like it was for me, it, it it's more tiring for us than it is for it's them. Yeah. Because that's how they used to fighting and we're not. But yeah. I think. That boy can't do that. that boy has got to take five to land one, but drag him into a dog fight, hit the body, like you say, hit his leg, hit him behind the head, do whatever. Just he's just got to make it brutal in there. But
2: what? What? what that's the big question. What does happen? Because I've seen him fight Joe Joyce in the amateurs. I watched that. I remember, people said to me, "Oh, it was close. Rob McCracken actually said to me, Tony, it was really close to him losing in the amateurs." Well, it might have been close on the night when you were watching it, but I watched it back, and he, he, he gave Joe Joyce an absolute pacing in WSB. So it's just I don't know. He seems to deal with big guys so easily, but then Joe Joyce is very mechanical for me. The way he moves, and is, I know he's an absolutely great athlete. Joe Joyce, by the way, I'm not dis- disrespecting anywhere. He's a top lad, but he's very mechanical. Maybe he moves like the Terminator, and that and that's that's just music to someone like who six years. Thing with Dell is he's a lot lighter than he's been in the past. He, he's moving well. I mean, he's cutting the ring off at unbelievable pace and unbelievable speed. He's had movements on it. He's, he's everywhere. But I just the, the worrying part is of how much does he have to take to get close, and that's the that's why I I hate the fight truth be known. know, I, I just don't want to see me mate it in an absolute walk. So he, I go as far up though as anyone in the amateur game. We've been in four nations together. I've been traveling with him. I've sparred with him, and we've always been close. So I just don't like the fight because. No matter he wins or not, he has to take so much damage in this fight. There's, there's no other way around it. He, he has to take an absolute shellacking at some point. and that I hate fights like that, you know what I mean? It's just, it's not nice to see. But I'll be screaming and I'll be cheering, mate, and hopefully he can get the job done. But believe me, we make this fella's the, the real deal.
1: It's really... Really fascinating to, to hear you both talk about, about what it's like when you're in that kind of rarefied air right up at the very top of the sport. It, it reminds me of an interview I heard with Wayne Rooney after he came up against Barcelona in the 2011 Champions League final, when they were probably peak, that Guardiola team, they were probably at their absolute best. And he was asked, you know, what's, a, what's, it, what's it like? What, it is, what is it about them? And he just said, it's everything. When they've got the ball, you have to work so hard to get it back. But when you've got it, you have to work so hard to keep it. Like every second that that ball is in play, they are just making demands of you that, that other teams have just never have just never made. And he said, "We're all super fit. Of course we are. Like like you were, like Matt was. But you're just exposed to something that that they're used to, and uh, and 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 you're not." Um, I just can't wait to see it on Saturday. I mean, I think uh, it's going to be...
2: Uh, the, you know what the thing is, and that, that's how they... that's See, what we, what I was is saying there is that's how they move. That, that, that's every day to them. That's just... The way they move, you have to be at 110%, and that's their 80%. That, that's just that. It, it's these special elite people. And I know everyone doesn't like the phrase of world champion, world class, and uh, but the fact of it is, there is world class fighters, but then there's another bracket on top of that, and you just... You don't see it very often, and he is of that, that very few elite-level people. There's a couple of them in the world right now. Romachenko's one. The kid who's just defeated them has obviously proven he's wrong, but I ultimately think size has beat that kid. I think he's just gone too far, and I told him that when I met him face-to-face. Uh, the only thing that'll beat you, kid, is size. I genuinely believe that. But there's a couple of them who 6-1 of them. They're they just... Canelo, I don't know if I just said Canelo, but Canelo another one. The the freaks, mate, Roy Jones Junior is one. Floyd Mayweather is one. They're just these people, and they, they, when they're working at eighty percent, you have to have a hundred. You have to be at hundred and ten percent just to even keep with them, just to even like be in in a close round. And these fighters are world class. You know, you have to understand what Floyd Mayweather has done to world class fighters. He makes them look stupid. Yeah, and you know, Lomachenko has made multiple world champions look ridiculous Alexander Usyk went in you have to remember against Gassiev he was a very very slight favourite and he made Gassiev look like a novice he couldn't land a punch on him he just couldn't do anything his own trainer was asking him in the corner do you even want to be here a man who's trained him for 12 weeks and just Abel Sanchez was saying what, what are you doing he just couldn't deal with it and, and that's what I'm saying about these elite level guys that don't, don't very, very rare, There's loads of world class fighters. Some win world titles, some don't. But them elite level boys who you're seeing now, they don't they don't last, you know, they, don't, they come round very, very rarely, in my opinion. You know, you can count on a handful of our error, mine and Max error how many there has been genuinely elite level, you know, world champions, world class fighters. So just enjoy it while he's here. Uh, as I said, I've always said it and I'll say it again. I think the only thing that really beats Alexander Usyk is his size. Derek Chisora does have size size, and weight over him. I don't think anyone in and around his natural weight will ever beat him. I just think he is, he is that good. Uh, he's exceptional at what he does. Uh, he dictates the pace and does things perfectly well. His feet control everything. But this is what I'm saying. When he goes to this new weight division, them advantages that he has, them things that set him aside from everybody else, they're no longer in his favour. Yes, he's still got them feet and they are still great. But he's no longer going to be able to dictate with them feet. Them feet can dictate against the, like, someone of the size of me. Six foot three, 15 stone. He can dictate certain things to me. Del going to be 17 stone in that ring. He ain't dictating nothing to Delboy. Not Well, un- unless he hits Del hard in the first couple of rounds and gets respect, which, by the way, can happen. Because, you know, you can get your, your ass stung pretty quick, you know, in, in the early rounds. So... Barring them first couple of rounds, unless he gets caught cold though, which I, I don't think he will because the fucker warms up for about an hour before he gets in the ring the lunatic. But barring that, I just see a long hard night, mate. I really do. And hopefully Del Boy me back the clock and just shocks the world. That would be my ideal thing. And I say that with a heavy heart because I genuinely really like Alexander Usef. What a fella, mate. What a fella, but you stick by your own where I'm from, mate, and I definitely stand by Dell.
1: So before we, before we let you go, um, given how you've just been talking there about these these absolute once in a generation almost fighters, and you, and you named a good number of them there, we, we had an interesting chat with Dave Coldwell a few weeks ago about whether about the extent to which natural talent really exists, uh, the, 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 the debate basically about our champions. Born or are they made? Is it the combination of the two? I think we kind of came down on the idea that it was a combination of the two because certain people pick things up quicker than other people. And that's really what kind of talent is. But but when you're talking about the absolute best, they've just got that extra something that other people just don't have. Is that just something they're born with? Is that just something they've been blessed with?
2: First and foremost, I think the most important thing is is... To, to be the one of them elite level boys, you have to be a really good athlete. There's no two ways about it. If you are not a top-level athlete, you are not gonna be. Yes, you're boxing. So people will say, Well, not necessarily. People will say, look at James Tony. Well, mate, you obviously don't know James <coughs> Tony and you're not watching him. Because James Tony, when he's a middleweight, he's in unbelievable shape, he's got a six-pack, he's fist as fuck. Don't look at the older version of James Tony and go, yeah, he's amazing, he's this and that. Yeah, he's a bit fat, he's put on a bit of weight when he's a cruiserweight. But believe you, me, mate he's still fit, he's still, uh, he's still got the foundations of a really good athlete underneath that bit of flab, so the most important thing is what you'll find with every level, elite level fighter you'll ever see, so you are like him, your Hinges, your you your Sugar Ray Leonard's. you know, your Van Der Jamari, all these names, every one of them has the foundations of an amazing athlete, a lot of the American fighters you'll look at probably was doing other things, so I've all it. Could have been a footballer, whatever. Have you? They run track at a same time, or whatever they do, they're all brilliant athletes. That's the most important thing. And after that, then a lot of it is how oh, well you absorb up here. Uh, can you adapt and adjust your boxing brain? These elite level fighters have it. You know, a lot of them are. For uh, me, the most important thing about boxing was can you relax? You know, uh, the reason why James Tony was. In the way he is, so he's got a bit of a belly on him, and could do what he's done is because the one thing that he has in common, all the elite level fighters have in common, they can relax when they're under pressure. No matter what you throw at them, they they just they just absorb it, and it's like it, it, it makes you feel like you're in slow motion. You Mac, you know. when, well, them, when yeah. you
0: when you said James Tony. I laughed because that's I was going to just about say James Tony. Yeah. You know? it's,
2: it's a perfect example, I man. You know, you go in the gym and you see proper good fighters. So I've seen loads of them over the years and I've grown up watching them and studying them. The the best thing that they do, Andy, is just relax. I try and tell the fighters today, if you can just relax and and navigate. Like I was talking to Joe Mack the day in the gym about Craig Love and stuff like that. And I said, I said, you know, when fights at a certain level, I said, I could go in the gym tomorrow and I know for 100 percent I haven't took a punch or thrown a punch in two years now. Coming up in November, I could go in the gym tomorrow and do ten rounds of sport, with a fight because you know purely with any fight you want as well. You know you can do whatever you want. and I guarantee it, I might lose all ten rounds, but no one's stopping me. No one's knocking me out because I'll just I can relax, I can sit on ropes, I can I can shoot. I understand how to fight, and this is what these good fighters have about them, and what a lot of fighters in today's game now are missing because a lot of these fighters today, massive parts of it are social media turn yourself up, bring yourself. Up. Just learn the fucking basics about to fight. Just that—that—that's the most important thing that you can bring in the game. Relax, enjoy fighting. You see a lot of these fighters now is—it's you know I want to do this or I want to do that. I should be on this bill, I should be on that bill, I should be down But just, just fight, mate. Just, honest to God, just, just fucking concentrate on being the best boxer you can, and all that's gonna come. But it's—it's it's mad how these things are working out now. But as I said before. It kind of contradicts what I've said before because you know you've got to make yourself relevant stuff, stuff like that. But if you listen to what I said before, the most important thing is you have to be able to fight. But everyone's now interested in all different sides of the game from social media, bottling themselves up, doing that. But look at the graph. Can they actually fight?
0: You're not you're not contradicting yourself, Tony. You're right. All these things are important. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. But you, you, if you can't fight, forget about yeah, it. But if you can fight, you've got to make yourself relevant. You know? Yeah. You know? You, they're all important,
2: aren't they? They're all, let's say, all them elite-level fighters. They're, they're, they're the attributes they have. So, you know, that Lomachenko, mate, that, that little fucker could probably pick up a golf club, be amazing. Pick up a table tennis bat, he's unreal. Uh, you know, who sick the fucker should be on Dancing With Ice or whatever it is, mate? He fuckers seen how he dances. He's about nine foot, and he can dance like a fucking ballerina. So there's just these things that, that these people can do and that they're naturally gifted. For me, I, I wasn't a good athlete. I could never sprint fast. I was never quick off the mark. But I had an unreal desire and determination. Like I would, I would work myself to the ground. Uh, people see how I used to make weight. The, the, the lengths I go to was the, was was, the, was not short of insanity. They were my strengths. But then you'll get all the fighters who I used to be in the gym So when I first turned professional. Frankie, I haven't come a couple of, about a year or so in. Frankie was one of the most naturally talented fighters I've ever been in the gym with. So much natural ability, a fighter who really could relax when the kitchen sink's getting thrown on him. It was like, it was like fucking Neo in The Matrix. He could just avoid punches back and forth, and it would come so naturally to him. But then other things with his downfall. Joe Selkirk, the best fighter I ever trained with, ever fought, ever seen in my whole entire life. It's just little different things. You've you've got to be able to tick all the boxes in some way or another. I'm not saying you have to be great in all them boxes, but they all have to be able to be ticked that you can do them. And and that's where these elite level fighters come from. And you know, they all they tick all them boxes. Some of them they tick you know, they've got three ticks in a box. So Floyd Mayweather, you'd say for his defense and his speed, he has five ticks in them, two boxes, but for his power, he has two ticks. He has enough power to make you respect them, but he doesn't have enough power that knocks you clean out every time. So, But it, but it, it outweighs it with how good his, his defence and how good his speed is. So, you know, these elite-level fighters, they tick every box and they tick every box a couple of times in some, in some ways. But it's hard, mate. It really is. You know, elite-level fighters, uh, and I say that, people say, you know, they're either world-class or they're not. It's just not that simple.
0: It really and is. Another, there's another level. There's world-class yeah. and your voice only. There's that pound-for-pound pound level.
2: Yeah. So that Terence Crawford level, mate. He's another genius. He is another genius of them all. But, as again, once with him, he's another one. I think if he stuck to his original weight, I think he'd go and beat You know, I don't think there's no-one to touch him. But size is going to outdo him at some stage. I don't know why these fighters do it. I have no idea why is at the weight he went to. He's just, he's not that weight, is he? You know, you look at him when he weighs in. And these guys are just bigger units than him. So why? It's like... Everyone's obsessed with someone who goes to... Why, why isn't someone just happy with someone who just, like Marvin Hagler, just stays at the weight and just reigns supreme? I said this the
0: other day, Tony. said Marvin Hagler, Costa Sue. They didn't go through the weight divisions. But they were, they were the, the man in their division and, and they were great. And legends, mate, icons of the game.
2: I just don't get it why fighters do it these days. It's like it's it's, it's a gimme. It's, it's a given that someone you've got to go weight to be great. Have you a fuck? Just dominate and owner weight. You're a great, you, you, you know, you you are not why, why do you need to go up to prove it it's, it's just madness, mate. I really don't get like I genuinely think Lomachenko would have went, I know he lost his pro debut and fucking even that was raising thin, but you take away the Salido fight. This kid could have went unbeaten for the whole rest of his career. If, if he just stays at his weight. And there's some great fights for him there as well, Mac. The Javante Davis fight,
0: you know, there's there's numerous fights in and around for him. In truth be told, Tony, he's not even really a super featherweight. He's probably still no, the feather. Featherweight's easy all day. And he
2: knows he can do feather. Because if you remember who did he beat when he first went up to super feather, he said straight away, I want to go back down to nine stone. He said it in the ring with Bob Adam next to him. You know, I can go back down again, you know, now that I've won this. And that was his first fight at super feather. And he was like, you know, he's making weight too easy. So, as I say, it's mad, mate. I, you know, with Usyk... I understand in the heavier divisions because it is purely about money. You know, you got to understand. Who's six won all the belts. He's, he's he's got every belt around his waist, and yet he fights me in one fight and makes more than all the other fights. It, it it doesn't. You know, I understand. I get that. But for Lomachenko, you've got brilliant fighters in and around your weight. You know, you know, they'll come down if anything to face you. You're that great. You know, you you know what you are. So I, I, I kind of do get it for the likes of Usyk because the money is that drastically big. You know, you, you can't be going around getting half a million paydays when you fight one fight and get a five million pound, five million dollar payday. It makes no sense at all. But for the likes of Amachenko, is it really that much difference? You know, would he have got I would assume he'd have got far more to face someone like Javonta Davis than he would the kid last time. You know, but it's just boxing. Out it goes it, it, it's changing and evolving all the time. As I say everyone's obsessed with people who jump up in weights and face numerous champions. Uh, it's, just, it's, it's just different now,
0: you know. all as I would just I think, I think the Jamanta Davis one would have been difficult because obviously he's with Haim and PBC. You know, Lopez is top rank. longchenko is was in house, wasn't yes. it?
2: But then you but see the, got- you know, the Leo Santa Cruz fight to make things like that. You know, there's other fight. Uh, you know, you frapped them fights. Just all, there's loads of good fights in and around that featherweight mark. Loads of top fighters where Lomachenko is going to get tested, but he's had to go completely out of his comfort zone and give away all kinds of exercise and weight to 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 get punished for it. And then now, you know, I've seen some people commenting on, "Oh, he mustn't have been really ever that good." Fucking uh, make these people. be just I don't know what planet they're on, but this kid is 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 phenomenal. He's like he's the best thing I've seen since a Pamboy Jones. I genuinely believe that he is—he is a freak, a freak of nature. The way he moves, fighters around and people say, "Well," I, I said, "It's not—it's not just what he does in the way." I said, "It's how what he's doing to world-class fighters. He's going to world-class fight, and he's spinning around, fuckers around the back of them, and he's has a trick. It's mad, mate. It's—it's it's, it's crazy. How much,
0: how, how hard is it to do? I mean, you'd struggle doing that with a genie." <laughs> <laughs> So lost the fight. I wouldn't have quick enough feet. <laughs> <laughs> it's just mad, you know, and this fella's doing it to, to proper world champions. I mean, what's the kid's name? Uh, he's like an acrobat, uh, isn't
2: he? That, uh, that when, when he fought Pedraza,
0: he was good running say,
2: made a good fighter, you know, a really good world champion. You know, we've seen what he's done to one of our fighters, you know, in Steven, but He's, he's, he's like a bull with a matador, he was dangling in front of him, tapping him on the forehead, and then, and then moving. It's just insane how good he is. So, as I said, and then you see what he does to Ancrawler, a brilliant fighter, but you see what the level there's there's these levels in boxing now, and it, it's very, very rare. I mean, I can't remember the last time we've seen a British fighter Mark, who takes that elite level box. I do have we seen one, Lennox? Yeah. David probably David potentially when he unifies the belts, the cruiser. I don't. He's done enough power and explosive movements. That's what it, it's when an Emily fighter is. He, he has everything, Andy. That's what I kind of explain to people. It's hard to
0: explain. It, you know what it's like, Tony. It's like you're in slow motion to them. Yeah. It's like they see everything in slow motion. They're yeah. just a step ahead here. you. Matrix.
2: It, it's exactly, and that's that's what these special fights are like. I, as I said before. It's I can't remember one that I've seen from Britain. So the fighters I adored and loved growing up, you Nigel Benz, it, they do it with a different tenacity, they do it in a different way, they do it with ferociousness and power and speed. David A was the same. I loved watching David A when I was coming through. But it, it's not done with the pure excellence and the pure skill of what these of what Sugar Ray Lannard done it with or or of what Floyd Mayweather does with you, you just we we're we, we, we're trained a different way. It's ingrained in us from kids in a different way than it is to them. So I don't know if we will. I think times will change. I think we will get that. There's some really talented kids coming through now. And they look at the sport now in our country differently than they've ever looked at it before. We're not we're not the stand-up guys who fight like this anymore. You know, and, and, and box a certain way. Because Michael tell you, the first time you go to America, and I've done multiple camps in New York on the East Coast. Max used to spend all the time on the West Coast. We are we are not respected in the U.S. When you go to, you have to earn the respect. I've gone to many gyms in New York, knocked out tons and tons of guys, and I don't say that as a big head or, or bragging about it, but you would just be looked at as ah, an English guy can't fight for shit. You know, get beat up, and and you would have to earn every you single. Got you got to learn yeah. your stripes in the gym. See, in, in England Mac, you don't do that everyone turns up to the gym and you've got to be straight away just as soon as you turn up to the gym usually uh, but in the States if you went in the States when you go into the gym in the States and every, literally everyone's a world champion because I remember the first time in Gleason's having war after war seeing war after war and then you'd listen to them in the dressing room afterwards and it would just be yeah I'm going to be champ on this and that and they would go out and they would shit but I swear to God when you listen to them in that dressing room they were Floyd Mayweather, Tommy and Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, all rolled into one fighter. That's the way they spoke when they got in the ring. It was a different ball game, but that—that's the kind of that's the way they carried themselves in our country. We're starting to get that a bit more now. The fighters are starting to believe in themselves more, and it's showing the amount of world champions we have now. And then yes, the champions have been diluted to a certain degree. I will agree on that. There's far too many belts throwing themselves around here. They're never in boxing, but. You ultimately know when world class fights are about because you can't fake British Commonwealth European Championship. You can't you can't black your way to them belts and then win a world title as well. You know you've seen fighters blagging themselves to these fucking regular things and the belts are a matter. And what I've seen from Newbank Junior all the times and he's a by the way I don't say that in English because that kid can't half really fight. But they they devalue boxing by what they're doing with these stupid belts. You know, you're carrying a belt that's not where the balloon and you're making out to people that it's and then it's only making our sport be laughter. We want it to be carried in the same regard that it was in the eighties, where when when it really meant something to carry a belt. And I say it's just devaluing things, and that's down to sanctioning fees board, but then ultimately the fighters do a parade Because if a fighter didn't parade the belt like it meant something, these sanctioning fees in these bodies wouldn't exist. You you've got to take the importance away from them as fighters. So I don't know how we've gone to this
0: subject, but I've chatted enough shade now. We're, we're good at going off on tangents. Don't worry about it. <laughs>
1: <laughs> no, I, I just sit here and let it happen. That, that's that, that's my
0: is frotchy in the air
2: being flat.
1: <laughs> <laughs> that's um. That's well, he's with us this weekend. He's with us this weekend. Yeah. I did. I did actually say to him when I saw him. Uh, well, we got him on the podcast over the summer, and 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 uh, I said to him, "So what 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 was up with you know Bellew going in the SAS program, and you didn't go in it?" And I just said to Frotch, "You know, I thought that that would have been, you know, would have had your name all over it." And Frotch basically just said, he, "He said, he said, listen, like the physical side of it, he said, yeah, fine, I was kind of up for that." And he said, "But the you know sitting down in a stress position with headphones on, listening to babies screaming." Life's too short, mate. Life's too short. <laughs> and To be honest, I was with him all the way on that. I mean, oh, we've oh, seen please. you since, but it's just never come up. I mean, how how was that? How was that whole experience?
2: Horrible. horrible. Uh, do you know what my body at that point was just up uh, the muscle injuries that you get through boxing? Wow. So made me shoulders, me knees, the fuck, me hands are battered. Everything just got twatted in that experience. Uh, when I came home, all the skin had come off the front of my fingers because all I'd done all the time when I was there was put you ears out back. Remember you know, when you feel it, like you put your hand in nettles and you go, ah, I'd become that ingrained to climbing up hills and just sticking my hands in nettles. It didn't bother me. But the acid off the nettles had got that much into my fingers. It had corroded all the skin on my fingers. It was horrible. It was just mad shit like that. I was running in them army steel toe cap boots all the time. My two toenails come off my feet. Oh. Uh, you know, you just, it, it just horrible. It, physically, it's not that bad. <clears throat> look down everything we've done day to day. Physically, it weren't that hard. It was just all up there. When your ass is gone and your door's getting kicked in and you, you know, you can't sleep. I think I slept about, I'd say no more than 20 hours in eight nights, nine nights. 20 hours at the most. The most I ever slept in one sitting was two hours. I remember sleeping the two hours. The night I slept two hours, I was up to the security watch. And I felt like I'd slept 10 hours and I'd only slept two. That's how bad it was. It's just a lack of sleep.
1: The food that, was horrible.
2: That sleep deprivation's mad. You start hallucinating. Oh, mad. Madness things I was thinking when I was getting my head down. Uh, I didn't have a shower for eight days. Oh, mate. You know, after day two, think, and don't forget you're running and you're sweating and you're doing all these things and you're not getting a shower. You're washing your hands all the time and you're washing your face. But you can't just wash your body and you just, or oh, the smell. It was horrible. It was just an horrible experience. The only good thing that I'd say uh, took from it uh, was it put me in a better place mentally because I was going on with certain things. I had never anticipated my personal life coming out. That's what I didn't like. But I've never watched it back, so I don't know what everyone's seeing. It's just that I was doing it so I know what I've said and what I've done. And literally, it was coming out of me and I didn't want it to. But I suppose it's a good thing that it did in the end, you know. I'm a firm believer that everyone should speak up or talk about things if you're having problems, so... It helped me get to the next stage, what I was doing. At the time, sure, can I can't complain. And I'm Middleton's gate. I wish the fucker could live with me, to be honest. If I had him on my shoulder
0: constantly, I would be a calm, at-peace person. But he's not <laughs> with me, so I can just flip at any moment still. What, what about the jump out of the helicopter, though, man? I thought, That was boss, man. My yeah. ass was gone. I, I, because when... The thing with him, I got on with Al
2: Middleton and I trust him. And I, I don't trust many people over the years, but I don't know why I could trust him. And and in that I, if anyone in my in the world I know I'd gone a helicopter and they'd went, trust me, let go and drop out of the helicopter backwards head first. I'd have gone, listen, mate, get to fuck. But I don't I, I don't know why I trusted them, but I just I just did <laughs> And I remember dropping out, mate, it didn't. When I hit that water, mate, it didn't half it I landed on the back. Of me. It looks like it's a nice land and I've done it right, but it didn't. It caught the back of my neck, the fatty part of the back of your neck. That's what I landed on. And when you hit the sea, mate, and you've got a whacked, it smacked down, took the wind out of me, and I just tried to, like, sport it out. Yeah, I'm okay. Just, just carry on through it. I was <laughs> dying inside, mate. I had them steel toe cap boots on i mean jumper. I'm fully clothed, and I had to swim back to shore, and them steel toe cap boots it wasn't nice. But you know, all's well that ends well, I suppose. Right experience, though. Yeah, I, I have always admired people in the military, and and them fellas made to the world are genuine heroes. You know, I've read all the books since, well, listened to all the audio books, I should say. Uh, listening to what that Ollie Allerton done, I could relate to them in certain ways. So Ollie Allerton, in his book, says about. When he, his dream was always to, you know, be the best soldier he could be. And, and the end goal for him was the SBS. When he gets into the SBS, it wasn't all he was made out to be. And I kind of got that because as a fighter, you, you dream and your goals is to lift this belt or lift that belt. And when you've got to the top and you've lifted it, it it's not all it's made out. You know, you, you know, I, when I, I remember sitting there and I'm become world champions and I've completed the collection, I've, got, I've done it all. I'm happy I've done it, but it, it, it's, why was I still carrying on fighting? What was I chasing? Yeah, a lot of it was about money once i become world champion, but it, it's not, once you've been to the, it, it's hard to explain. I, I listened to 50 Cent, and I've, I listened to, I read do loads of audio books, and one of the things that I say is that I've seen is Saj Guru, I think his name is, something like that, uh, and he, this fella's like, he, he's renowned all around the world, and he said, it's it, it's amazing that the most successful people are, are the loneliest he said, "On the ones in the most trouble. He said, because they get to the very top of their professions of what they're doing and they've been there and they soon find out that it's not all that it was made out to be. And, and I can definitely relate to that. It's it's definitely not. So everyone builds things up. It's like people going on about money. But all i ever heard on social media is, oh, it's all right for you, you've got money or you've got this. Money doesn't mean absolutely fuck all. And, and I'll be the first one, by the way, to say Everyone who's got money says that. If they all do, you know what I mean? Honest to God, it's not. The, some of the best times of your life was me, was my me terraced house, me, my first house. Being absolutely skint. I never had the mortgage money. My hands were, I broke my hand in my fourth pro fight. Uh, my mortgage was five ton a month. I didn't have a pot to piss in. So I have to go out and do all kinds of mad things to earn money. But I look back, I would come home at night after going out in the day, doing what you're doing. I would come home at night, sit with my missus and, and one of my kids at the time and be like the happiest times of your life. Because yeah. everything's, everything was just right at the time you know your family's happy everyone's at they were the best times but then when, when money comes involved with things made everything changes you, you know it's expect everything's expected everything's you know it's just mad it's different made I say well that is the most important thing I learned just don't, don't believe that when you get to the top everything's great or when you get to the, the pinnacle of where you've wanted to get to Everything just go. Oh my God, the world's just a great place to all the bollocks.
0: Couldn't be further from the truth. Happiness is a journey, not the destination. I fucking hope so. Because I'm still fucking
1: searching. <laughs> I think everybody is. I think everybody is. Well, one thing I think we know for sure is that life doesn't get any simpler, does it? It gets uh, it gets more complicated. <laughs> the Every old, the older day, you
2: especially get. when you've got four fucking kids. The best part about this whole lockdown, me missus had our fourth little boy. On the 6th of January, he's the only kid out of all four of my boys I've watched grow up every day. Every, I've seen him literally grow up. All the others I missed. Yeah, so you go, as Mac will tell you, you, when you're in camp, you're away for it. It can be months at a time, sometimes it can be weeks, it can be days. But every time you've got a fight scheduled and penciled in, you, your mind's only on the fight. If, you, if you're a proper fighter, and and you live it. And I mean I say that genuinely, you don't do boxing, it's not a hobby. You live it every day. It's the first thing on your mind before you go when you wake up, it's the last thing on your mind when you go to bed. And all through them years, you know, from my every fight from my twelfth professional fight was a title fight, bottom two. Every round was a 12-round schedule for a 12-round fight. Every single one had done an eight-rounder and a ten rounder, everything else was a title fight. That's three months camp for every single fight. I had 34, 35 fights in my career. That's a lot of, that's a lot of camps. And that's how you, that's how you, so, you know, whatever it is, fucking 24 fights of three month camps. And as a minimum, I would always prepare diligently in camp. So you've missed such a big part of the kids growing That's been the best thing about this lockdown. I've watched the little, the little dwarf grow Every single day, make this little baldy creature of mine grows, and all he does is smile. It's been the
1: best time gone, and now I'm in isolation in this stupid fucking room. Well, there have there been benefits to um to, to lockdown. That 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 that's that's one that you've had, and and as I said right at the start, one that we've had is that on on a weekly basis, almost we've had people like you quarantined in hotel rooms with nothing better to do than uh... <laughs> who is going to get tomorrow. We, I think we're going to leave it there.
2: Actually, we, we've. Don't do that. Don't do that. Let me let me think of someone. Do you know who you should get on? Have you done Pizza Fioria? We
1: have, we have, but
2: we'll He'll definitely get him cool back stories. at some
1: point. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes, one hundred percent. He has some stories. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, gonna... yet
2: yeah, to have a story? Do you know who'd have a few stories? And he's un- really unknown. Clifton Mitchell.
0: It we would yeah, we'll definitely get that. him at some point.
2: Definitely. Yeah. We'll have a few stories and tell him to ask him about like not just the boxing side when he's been having to get stuck on and that stupid security boys where he's got with him. Because <laughs> he'll have had a few of them.
1: Oh, we we were we yeah, we, uh, his name's definitely come up. Mike Goodall, someone else we're quite keen to get in the bag. Mike at some Goodall
2: point. would be really good. Mike Goodall's lad.
1: I think he'd be he'd be tremendous. Um magic okay.
2: things he's seen.
1: Well I mean he's been around it for so long MC um all sorts of different roles in 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 boxing he'd be yeah he doesn't he's never struck me Mike as a, as a man who is afraid to tell a story um I don't, <laughs> I, don't, I don't think he's... um I don't think we'll have any problem getting them out of him um
2: we'll try Ian Dark
1: Darkie would be good yeah we've got Darkie earmarked for um for a, a deep dive into uh into a big fight um he doesn't know this yet uh, but we'll uh, <laughs> We'll, we'll get hold of him and, uh, and, and fill him in at some point. So we'll le- we'll leave it there. We'll leave it there. Um, great talking to you as always. Really, really see good, you, fun. See
0: you in a couple of days, Tony. We shall
1: meet. I'll
2: see you soon. Uh, you me, bastard.
1: We'll see you in a couple. We'll see you in a couple of days. Everybody, thanks for listening. Um, that's our, our third episode of the week. So we've been busy this week. We've been really busy. We'll be back next week and. If something extraordinary happens on Saturday night, we we'll, may well even reconvene on, on, on Sunday. Um, so we'll just see what happens. We'll see what happens when Alexander rusik and Derek Chisora come face to face in London on Saturday for what should be a very, very entertaining fight. So stay well, everybody. Thanks for listening. And if you get the chance to give us a rate or review on iTunes, that'll be great. And we'll see you soon. Yes, that light!